0: Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of the Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Maris Review. Um, I'm delighted to be talking to Patrick Kaufman today. He's a writer and private investigator based. In Brooklyn, his first novel, The White Van, was a finalist for the Crime Writers Association Ian Fleming Steel Dagger Award. That's pretty badass. And his latest novel is called Clean Hands. Patrick, hi, welcome.
1: Hey, good to be here. Thank you so much.
2: I, I, before we talk about your book, I, I would love to see how you're doing. Huh. <laughs> Hear how you're doing.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm doing pretty good, actually, right now. Are you talking because I had the virus?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, we had the virus, my wife and me and the kids. We all got sick in New York City, and um, it was horrible. Two weeks, it was really bad, but I'm feeling pretty good right now.
2: Good, good,
1: good. I got a blood clot, too, though, afterwards, so, yeah, just keeps coming, but...
2: Oh, it's so terrible. Um, But you have this excellent book to promote. Here we are. Here we are. Um, Clean Hands. First of all, the pacing of it is so extraordinary. I just felt like it was like just adrenaline, adrenaline, like on the move. Um, So I guess my question is, how?
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's, I guess how is that, that's almost like my only thing that I try to do is to keep it moving fast and keep it tense. That's like my goal. That's what, what I'm kind of going for. So I don't, I don't know how beyond that that, that's what I'm trying to do.
2: But also like, you're so good at switching points of view amongst characters and like, it's a huge cast of characters that we get to know in this very quick space. Um, and so I guess then the question is like, how do you get the right details about each character in there so that, I mean, I had no trouble telling anyone apart, which is like one of my biggest problems <laughs> in reading books.
1: I know. I was worried about that too. Like for me, I have, I struggle reading too. Like with a book like Wolf Hall, I kind of almost can't do it because I'm like, I can't follow all the characters. So I was definitely worried about that. In terms of getting the characters, you know, it's, I don't know, you write fiction too. So I, I, you know, what do we do? We kind of like pretend or we the veil back and look into uh this other alternative universe and try to say what are these characters feeling and doing at the time mm-hmm. and and you know that's what I try to do.
2: And you yeah, you get like just the right I wish I could pull a sentence right now, but like uh one or two details that just like nails the person that you're <laughs> trying to evoke.
1: Characterization, right? Is that what we're doing? There
2: you go. <laughs> Um, tell me, tell me about writing thrillers as someone who works as a private investigator.
1: Well, it's interesting because I try, this is the first book. I mean, this is my third book, but this is Mm -hmm. the first book where I've had a kind of remotely private investigator type, uh, character. I'm a private investigator. I've been one for about 16 years now. Um, but I never wanted to do it because I just I, I found it kind of corny to have like a private investigator where someone comes with the case. No offense to anyone that that is doing that, you know. But <laughs> um, and then so I never would really write about. And I work on gnarly criminal cases. Like that's what I've been doing this whole time is is working on criminal defense stuff and now working on appeal stuff for wrongful convictions. So it's definitely like sort of it's not glamorous, but it's an exciting world where you know, you could have crime fiction for sure, but I've always just wanted to kind of stay away from that and just use little details instead of using actual cases or, or anything like that.
2: Is there technology that you're privy to that informs some of the, the stuff that, that goes on in the book or.
1: Well, there, I mean, there is, there, you know, there's the scene of her looking for this cell phone that gets stolen. Um, The book is about, well, one of the main characters, Valencia Walker is kind of a fixer. She's, she wouldn't call herself a private investigator, even though she does have, uh, you know, she would have a private investigation license, but she's an ex CIA uh, officer and she's like a corporate fixer. If rich people get in trouble, they call her to fix the problem. Um, so she, when she's trailing the phone and looking at all those. Video surveillance cameras and all that, you know, and she calls a DEA officer and asks for uh, uh, assistance with like a stingray thing, which is so in Grand Central, the DEA could if they had a stingray set up there, they could grab all the cell phone numbers that passed through Grand Central at that time. And they do do that. And someone could have call a buddy and have someone get that material, you know, wow. it's not something that I could do. But this. Is, so her her thing is kind of like a fantasy situation for me. You know, it's like what I would dream about. And also on on that same topic, kind of in the way that she's unethical, that's another kind of fantasy of mine because I'm a ethical investigator. You know, I would never lie to someone or right. threaten them or anything like that. I'm very cautious about, you know, being above board and all that. But she will threaten people to do what she wants. And And I realized after the fact of writing it, I was like, that's some kind of fantasy zone for me.
2: Yeah. You know? And she's like... Yeah, that that kind of um, hard-boiled heroin in charge lady who like sort of doesn't make a, a wrong move, and so that the
1: type of person that would say, "Put me on your podcast, Maris, or else."
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then I would like, find that someone was following me, and it yeah, would and be your weird.
1: iPhone has been hacked, and it's like currently being used as a listening device. <laughs>
2: Tell me about um, writing about the Russian Jews who live in Brighton Beach because those are some of my favorite characters in the book.
1: I know. I, re- I really like those guys, too. But go on. Sorry, I interrupted.
2: No. Um, I, I guess it's a fantasy for me as a Jewish person to think that, like, there are some like really tough guys.
1: Yeah. Tough Jews.
2: <laughs> tough Jews. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm Jewish too. And, uh, there are, you know, I mean the, uh, one, so I, in a lot of my books, there's, is it all? Yeah. All of my books have, uh, Jewish, uh, mafia types in them. Mm -hmm. All, All three of them do. Um, and, uh, I don't know exactly why that is, why I have them in there. Um, except that I like them and, Yeah, I I really don't know. But the one interesting thing I came on early when I was researching in the old books was uh, that the Jewish mafia type stuff, you know, the worldwide kind of, especially Russian Jewish mafia that is spread out, um, came into, and I referenced this in some, and actually in Clean Hands, there's a line about this, but that they... You know, in Russia, they had to do it because they were discriminated against. So they right. had to turn to crime and they became sort of organized crime because they were forced to because they weren't allowed to, to work in the, in the public sector stuff of, of Russia. I just found that really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you, how much crime is, originates because there's no other way. Right. We've seen Lame Miz, We know.
1: <laughs> I know, I was just thinking of, uh, I forget what, some Disney movie. Gotta um, Eat to Live, Gotta Steal the Eat.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, Aladdin, right?
1: Yeah, Aladdin, right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, so that's that's uh, part of it. Tell me about the world of the ultra-rich, which you write about so compellingly, and like, I would love to know how you know these things.
1: Well, so... This book, for me, this book started. I got. I work on on criminal cases only, and on. I work for a law firm. We do uh, wrongful conviction civil cases related to wrongful conviction cases, but occasionally I'll take on different work. And so I got offered to work on a job that was a corporate civil suit between. Well, I won't say who it was for, but it was a large, a, a lot of money corporate civil suit, and I, and. I went into, well, first, before I went in, I told my wife, Rayon, who, you know, uh, um, I don't want to do it. I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling too lazy. I got too much stuff going on. And, and she said, do it. You might get an idea for a book. I went into the first, I like, literally. <laughs> I always listen to Rayon. <laughs> yeah. I went into the first meeting and the lawyers in, in Midtown, you know, and the lawyers were so uh, cagey about which emails they could show me and they'd stop and confer. I just found it a little bit more than just regular attorney-client privilege and uh so then on the ride home it was just a small detail you know but then on the subway ride home i was like what well, if those emails got stolen anyways i've gone way off track here but so in terms of the ultra rich i you know i don't know i don't really know too many ultra rich people i kind of make all that stuff up but as this i've been working on the story you see it all the time you know especially with like this harvey weinstein stuff and, yes. the, and the uh black cube and all, yes. all that stuff is just always coming up that there's this if you're rich enough, you can afford your own law enforcement type people or intelligence type people, ex-CIA operatives, ex-Massad operatives that can work for you and take care of your problems, you know. And once I started working on this project, you just see it again and again in the news. And it's really disturbing.
2: It really, I mean, between um, Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein, I... I don't know. I I I, be, I am more of a conspiracy theorist than ever before because we we're because because we found out that it's right. Those are actual conspiracies.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: And talk about your moral point of view um, in relation to your characters. Um, yeah, is that is that enough?
1: Um, well, I mean, my moral point of view in relation to my characters. I, I don't know. I don't know if I understand that. Okay. <laughs> um,
2: you write about some bad people, <laughs> um, but there are varying levels. There always are. Do you think money is the great corrupter? Do you, do, do you I
1: think, think what, I think in terms of morality and this gets into another kind of central thing of, of my, what I try to do. It, You know, in my background, I used to work for the public defender's office in San Francisco. And our job was to defend people who were charged with murder or whatever, you know, and they were often. So, you know, I've worked on all these kind of murder cases, and I would always come home and tell Rayhan, I'd be like, I don't know, the guy's a cool guy, actually. Once you get to know him, he's a nice guy. Working in criminal defense work is kind of trying to find the narrative. And find some sort of mitigating evidence of why they would do something like this. Um, so I think, you know, I, a lot of the project of of my books is to take someone who may be considered unlikable or something, and then try to make them human, show why they do the things they do. Mm-hmm. So the first one was, you know, the first book, the hero is a is a uh, woman who's addicted to crack, She's not your typical kind of thriller hero. Try to use her. The second one is international drug traffickers. Um, You know, so I get into them and try to make them sort of to humanize them. Mm -hmm. And Now this third one is the worst of all corporate lawyers and (laughs) and fixers, you know, and I try to humanize them and get into their, into their, uh, try to get into their, into their psyche.
2: And, and it's so, it's cool that in this book, um, you're the two, I'm using the word "badass" with quotes, okay? <laughs> but yeah. the most badass characters are the two women. I right?
1: Think. Yeah, I do too. Um, so this is another confession that I have to make too about this: is the book started? Uh, Valencia's character was a male, and I, <laughs> and I showed a very early draft to Rayhan, and she, my wife, and she and she said it would be much more interesting if, if that character was a female. Um, and I took it at first I was like, you know, I was like, no, I can't be, I see this guy is this, that, that. And I went back to my office and I was rereading the stuff and, and trying to look at it what if, if she, if she was a woman, you know, could you just change all this stuff? And I was like, you can, and it is so much more interesting, yeah. uh, to have her be a female character instead of be like this, you know, male. Uh, ex-CIA officer is kind of cliched um and just like a tough fixer person that threatens you and stuff as a female it feels more interesting I've also right now I'm working on a new book with a female kind of tough protagonist and I think it does it allows you to uh you can do that stuff you know like to be like I want to have this fantasy world of being like tough and all that. Yeah, uh, and you can do it. For me personally, I can put myself into those shoes easier if it's a woman than to be like, "Yeah, I'm a tough, I'm a tough guy." You know, <laughs> I think it's it's just corny to have tough guys.
2: Yeah, today. you know, tough guys are kind of corny.
1: They really are. Like, who wants to read about that right now?
2: <laughs> what a good point. Tell me about a couple of books that you would like to recommend.
1: I. Recently read one that hasn't come out yet that I'm very into Uh, Ryan Gaddis has a new book, uh, the system that was supposed to come out this summer and got pushed back to the winter because of the virus and all that. I think it's a really good crime thriller and just it does something that I haven't really seen done before. And you think you would, but it takes a very normal-seeming crime, like an attempted murder in L.A., and looks at all of the characters involved, all of the law enforcement people involved, all of the people charged in the crime, the lawyers, everyone, and looks at it. – it's it's like this book, Clean Hands, in a way, and that it jumps from character to character in a similar way, but it really just shows the whole system of the book. I mean, I've, you know, the book shows the system, right. and then – So I I love that one. I think it comes out in December or something. And I like, and I I love his other earlier books too. Um, And then the other one that I would recommend, uh, this one's kind of controversial because she's a bestseller. So you're like, oh, you want to recommend a bestseller? But I feel like it's time to make a public declaration that uh, Sarah Waters is the best living novelist right now.
2: I would 100% agree.
1: Are you? For our guy? listeners,
2: yeah. where would you tell them to start? Because I, like I always to, like to go yeah. with tipping the velvet and then yeah. get into like the, the crimier stuff.
1: Yeah, I really love the, the, the last one, The Paying Guest. is yeah. what, That's the one I always recommend to people. I just think it's like such a perfect book. She's got one coming out this year too, I think. And I really do think that she's, I mean, is she not the best? She's like the most fun um and just like a great stylist and she's mm-hmm. perfect
2: i obsessed with her
1: yeah. <laughs> so I, and she's not like as popular as she is she's a best-selling author it's not really a household name you know that's
2: I, that's what i usually when i recommend her i i have a lot of mileage with her because not everyone ha, has in, ingested all of her works yeah well thank you this
1: thank was- you maris yeah
2: Clean hands. Buy it.
1: <laughs> June 2nd.
2: Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.